It is time for another AEW Dynamite review here on the Mr. Warren Hayes Show podcast. The first AEW review of 2024. Happy New Year. If you haven't already been the recipient of my New Year's wishes, I hope you have a wonderful one. I hope 2024 is tremendous for you. Better than 2023, even if your 2023 was really good. I want your 2024 to be to be even better. That's that's the kind of that's the kind of hope I'm bestowing upon you. This is what I want. I want nothing but the best and the greatest for you, my A-plus audience. Uh, but as for me, the D-list podcaster, well, you know, I'm going to keep chugging along. And we've got the first uh, Dynamite of 2024 to talk about today. But, you know, we'll do the usual business. There's certain things that don't change. Leave a like on this video if you're watching this on YouTube.com slash Mr. Warren Hayes right now. And consider subscribing as well. I do a bunch of stuff here, all wrestling commentary related. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. If this is your first time here, give me a shot. Love to have it. Uh, otherwise, five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, five-star ratings on Spotify if you're listening to this on the audio side of things. Uh, or whatever, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, whatever type of love you can show there, that would be tremendous. Um, and, um, and, 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 and there we go. We're ready to go. We're ready to rock and roll with this, uh, with this first edition of Dynamite. So there was a lot of stuff, of course, that, um, that needed to, uh, break down, but we're going to get to it. This one that, uh, happened, uh, in, uh, in Newark, New Jersey at the Prudential Center on, uh, January 3rd, 2024, 5,483 tickets distributed. Not bad, if you ask me. Uh, you know, we we've seen we've seen worse, but uh, you know, this is more in the higher range for AEW shows, and I'm pretty sure that if they're starting the new year feeling feeling like this, well, you know, probably giving them a little hope for the future. Um, <laughs> but look, I mean, things did very well uh, for you know for or over the past couple of weeks with the Continental Classic, maybe. Um, maybe World's End wasn't the, you know, the pay-per-view that was going to tear everything down and reignite the hope because I think it was a bit of a middling pay-per-view. It had three really great matches on it and the rest was uh, maybe outside of the opener. Maybe, the, you know, the whole sandwich of the the meat and potatoes of the show was, uh, was ah, so-so, right? Anyway, you can listen to my review if you want to hear it on this week's Mr. Warren Hayes show proper. But as it stands, um, you know, what I'm trying to say is that maybe, you know, over the past couple of weeks in regards to the Continental Classic and uh, maybe maybe it's just it's just reinvigorated the fan base the fan base that sort of slipped away because it saw that uh, AEW was going down a path that didn't interest them you know I'm not going to reiterate all of this we've talked about it enough but maybe we're getting some people back I mean there are metrics that show that the Continental Classic was the way to go for AEW. Uh, Tony Khan addressed it himself. I even spoke about it, wrote about it, I should say, in my Continental Classic uh, retrospective that I wrote for Voices of Wrestling. So if you want to check that out, by the way, VoicesOfWrestling.com, I break everything down. You know, you see it as a bit of a post-mortem. We, you know, we, go, we do some analysis, bring out some stats, do some critique, um, an entire breakdown from the genesis of the C2 all the way to the very end. Uh, I'm pretty happy with it. I'm pretty proud of it as well. So go check that out, voicesofwrestling.com for my Continental Classic retro Retrospective. That's how the that that's how we used to say it back in the 80s. It you know everything was very retro. You know when you know Happy Days was a retro show. 
Let's just get on. <laughs> let's let's just get on with it. Uh, the show opened with a cold open, actually, from Samoa Joe cutting a tremendous promo after winning the title from uh, from MJF at World's End. Um, you know, if you you know if you did want to make a statement and you wanted to punctuate that, hey, you know what, we are moving on from uh, from whatever was happening last year with MJF and control and his creative ideas. Uh, you couldn't have picked a better choice than Samoa Joe to sort of um, establish it. And what was good in this promo is that, you know, he's basically establishing the fact that he doesn't, you know, he's ready to take on everyone. And kind of like what he said at the at the press conference, you know, people were like, well, you know, uh, I think he got a question like, who would you like to face? And he's like, I don't care. Name your favorite. And that's that's how I think uh that's how I think a world champion should uh should do it as well but good uh good cold open which then led into uh Adam Cole and his guys the undisputed kingdom as they are known now led to them heading to the ring with uh new entrance music so you know we got the uh uh you know it's all about the boom Adam Cole baby music but that was interrupted and we got this new this new tune, very heelish. So Adam Cole comes down, still with the boot, accompanied by Roderick Strong, Matt Taven, Mike Bennett, and Wardlow. And you know, like I said, and you know, here's the thing. Regardless of everything that happened and how I felt about the entire, the entirety of the Brochacho stuff, you end up, you, you, you sit back, you look at these these guys you look at you know all the these these the these five guys together, and you're like, this is a good group. This is a good group. I I like how they you know I I like how they look like together. Cole of course has to sit down. He's still injured. That's still very very much a shoot. And he cuts uh, he cuts a promo the the promo that everyone was waiting for. Right, trying to make sense of all of this. Well, first of all, actually. Roderick Strong takes grabs the microphone and tells everyone to shut up to allow his best friend Adam to talk. And quite frankly, listen, if you really want to snap with the past, here's what I thought he was going to do. I'll tell you, this is what I thought Roderick Strong was going to do. You know, does his, his little shtick, shtick here and he says, you know, asking everyone to shut up to listen to his best friend. And then he sort of teases that he's going to do the gimmick, right? The Adam thing, but he doesn't. He just says Adam Cole. To snap with the past, to, to make a clean break with all the nonsense that they went into. Because now the group, like I said, it's a good group. They look like they, they, they look like a good little group of ass kickers. If they continue doing shtick, it's going to devalue, right? And you can argue that Roderick Strong's persona overall has been devalued throughout all of the proceedings with MJF and Adam Cole. Um, and I think it would be very, very easy for him to uh, to get back on track and reestablish himself as Roderick Strong ass kicker. But he needs to stop with the Adam shtick. He has to stop with that. Samoa and all that bullshit. He has to stop. And I thought that they were going to... I, I really thought that he was going to lead into this, but he didn't. He did the shtick. You, look, you either snap 
with you, 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 a clean break. If you really are, I'm trying to say too many things at once. If you really are trying to move forward here and say, yeah, no, we screwed him up. We were bad guys. Now we're real bad guys. Then what we want is heat. We have to stop doing the things that get people to pop, right? If you want to move away from everything that did happen, because, uh, you know, Cole said it himself in the, you know, in his promo here, you know, you needed a change. We're bringing the change. Well, change your gimmick as well. Ch leave everything you did, relegate all of that to the past. You know, Matt Taven wasn't wearing, you know, a giraffe print shirt, right? He wasn't, the, leave all of that in the past because now if you are to be considered serious heel ass kickers, well, you got to go down that path as well. Anyway. Adam Cole, uh, he, you know, he asks, he asks the crowd, why, you know, why do you not have sympathy for me? <laughs> Everyone loves the Stones, the Beatles, or the Stones, or the Stones or the Beatles. He talks about MJF uh, and says, basically, you know, if MJF hadn't, if Adam Cole hadn't turned on MJF, MJF was going to do that whenever he, um, when, whenever he would uh, stop, whenever he would need him anymore, right? And he says, if it, if this means turning on him makes him the devil, give me a one-way ticket straight to hell. Because he says everyone will thank him because the fact is MJF is gone and is never coming back. So again. Are we going to stop pretending that MJF is a is a free agent? Are we or are we continuing to to assume that this is the case? Or can we just stop pretending? Right? I, I I've been I've been hammering this for weeks for nah, a couple of weeks since you know people started buying into the fact that maybe MJF is you know he's oh his contract is up on the first everything has led us to this that has led us to this point kind of shows that MJF isn't going anywhere and that he's probably resigned. No booker in his right mind would have given MJF all the leeway that he got all throughout 2023 to do whatever creative he wanted, book him into a Superman Hogan uh, type babyface champion and then create an angle for not just between two guys, but including a bunch of people, you know, and then have, and, and then uh, no booker would have let all of that happen. And then with the, with the, with the pretext that on January 1st, the top guy might be leaving. Like it, it just doesn't make sense. None of it makes sense. Well, MJF is going to take some time off to heal. His shoulder is in a bad spot. Uh, wondering, you know, is it going to be, therapy are we going to do surgery what's the plan but whatever it is they're clearly setting up they're clearly setting up that mjf is coming back and whenever mjf does come back he's going to grab the microphone and he's going to say something to the effect of uh you know i yeah adam cole you know i decided to resign with AEW because i'm going to make your life a living hell or some kind of shit like that and that'll be fine that'll be great actually that's what he should say if he's coming back as a babyface, of course which i assume he's going to do um, and then this feud will be reignited and everyone will be really happy. Um, but listen, the, he, so Cole breaks all of this down here, says, I, 
you know, people wanted this to make sense. Yeah, and I and I do and I do listen, and I am 100% excluding myself from this because I was I couldn't care less. I couldn't have cared less about the 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 who done it. I'm as I said on my review, I'm just glad that they went with Adam Cole because that was the logical, you know, most story efficient way to do this. That's what made the most sense. You know, oh, it's Jack Perry. Oh, it's this other guy. Oh, it's Bill Goldberg. <laughs> uh, it that, none of it made sense otherwise. So really, it's the one that makes the most sense, even if there is tons of plot holes. And people were really excited. Well, okay, Adam Cole, make this make sense. Does it make sense? Honestly, look, let's let's see. He said, first of all, he said, you know, um, well, I mentioned it previously. He said that the, you know, the first thing is that once MJF felt like he didn't need it anymore, he would have done the same thing to him, which is probably true. Um, and he says, you know, keyword here, need, because uh Cole never needed MJF. He sacrificed everything in that friendship. And for, you know, he even broke his 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 ankle in the process, which is true. You know, he doing a stupid save on a silly match. And um, he also said nobody would be cheering for MJF if it wasn't for him. And he saved MJF's title ring, but also ended it. So he said at the beginning, it was all about the title. Then it turned into something much more about destroying a man to his core, about bringing him to his knees. And, um, you know, okay. So, at first it was about the title, then it became about tearing him down. When did it become about tearing him down? What was the what was the moment? Was it at Wembley? Was it at Wembley when Adam Cole was like, I'm not winning the title? Yeah, is it was it at that moment? When was the moment? And honestly, I don't I'm just throwing that out there because I really don't care. I, I, I don't care enough for this to, you know, for me to try and wrap my head around it. Because I've been telling you all this kind of stinks. And wrestling whodunits are usually met with disappointment. Because you can then go back and poke plot holes. And and, and there are tons of them. You know, uh, tons of them. Like, why was Adam Cole hanging out with Roderick Strong? Was Adam Cole hanging out with Roderick Strong in the in, at his home was that the point where he suddenly became uh that, that 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 was that the point that he start wanted to tear MJF down was that it or was it just goofballery what like what look this is what i tell you all when it's, when i say there's no need for these overly complex stories in pro wrestling because they always end up being convoluted full of plot holes and in most occasions, especially when it comes to whodunits, just disappointing. Because no one gets really excited. Everyone was like, I saw it coming. Or, oh, they went with the obvious choice and then they get disappointed or whatever. Like, there, there was no winning in this situation. And there still is not. Because, again, at first it was about the title. When was it about the title? At what moment did it not? And at what moment did it stop being about the title? It was about the title before they were friends. And while they were friends, it still was not about the title. They did the thing at Wembley. And then at Wembley, MJF was like, 
I don't want to risk my friendship over this. And he was tossing here, you take the belt. And Adam Cole was like, no, I don't want it. And I was like, what, what, what the fuck are we doing? It's the main event of the show. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I, who cares? What am I, why am I watching this? So this is why I say over and over again, don't, if you focus too much on stories and doing this type of storytelling, you're missing the point. And the point of watching, uh, of pro wrestling is watching pro wrestling. It's watching a couple of people, you know, fight, convince us that they're having a match and showing, doing athleticism, fight, uh, uh, brawling, uh, uh, you know, wrestling wizardry to make us believe that what's happening is, is real or at least is at the very least highly entertaining, right? This is why I keep telling everyone, I keep, I, this is why I tell you week after week, there's no need to go so far and so deep into this. And ultimately the payoff is extremely disappointing. Stick to the basics. And we saw it with the Continental Classic. Stick with the basics. Stick with what all of your pro wrestlers should do best, which is pro wrestling. Because again, you know, I remember Vince McMahon when he was trying to, years ago when he was selling the idea of sports entertainers. He'd tell people, you know, our guys are not just wrestlers. Uh, they're sports entertainers because sure they wrestle, but they can do comedy. They can do music. They can do, you know, all of this. And pro wrestling is the only thing on earth. It's the only form of entertainment that has that that has this identity crisis that feels that it has to be more than what it's supposed to be or at least how some promoters perceive it right you can't just have pro wrestlers your pro wrestlers have to do comedy they have to do all this bullshit and most of the time they fail at it because they're not or they're not as good at it as they should because they're professional wrestlers not stand up comedians not musicians not actors who are trained to do that just like a pro wrestler trains themselves to do to be the best at their art the others do the same just because you see a skit on snl you know I, I can do that doesn't mean it's good you remember the street profits when they tried to do them do some snl skits a few a couple of years ago on uh on same thing you're sitting there you were sitting back and you're like this is a high school level shit this is not funny I see what they're trying to do. They're trying to do the weekend update thing, but it's not funny because they're pro wrestlers and I don't necessarily expect them to be able to do comedy properly, which is such a, an intricate art form. People think telling jokes is so easy, but it's not. It's all about timing. It's all about your delivery. It's the same thing in pro wrestling. You can, oh, I can do, uh, you know, I can throw lariats around. Yeah, but are you good at it? Because again, it's all about timing. It's about precision. You see what I mean? It's like you try to do too many things and you lose the essence of what it's supposed to be, which is pro wrestling. So I'm not surprised that the devil story ends up being, you know, a wet fart. People are like, or people are like, yeah, of course. I'm just happy. Here's, I'm I'm happy they went with Adam Cole because it's the most logical thing. And I'm glad it's over because it was untenable. And a lot of people, a lot of it had become aggravating and irritating to me. So I'm just glad it's over. And I, I, I am not going to dissect 
Adam Cole's reasons for doing this because frankly, I had stopped paying attention. It doesn't matter. He just, you know, my, my, my final impression is that it doesn't make sense. I still don't understand when and where, when it suddenly became about destroying MJF as a human and it no longer be was about the titles. I, I don't care. You know, that, that, that's the thing. I don't care because they didn't care enough to make even more sense out of it. Look, it doesn't matter. None of it matters. Let's just move on. He said it himself. You know, new chapter. We're moving on. I'm moving on. I'm, I am so ready to move on from the brochachos, from Roderick Strong in his fucking wheelchair, from giraffes, from uh, fishing for Captain Insano, from Bloomin' Onion jokes, from uh, Chinese food is so spicy jokes. I'm, I am uh, so done with all of it, completely over, all of it. Relegate that to the past so that we never have to speak of it again. Anyway, Adam Cole then iterates everyone's after some gold. And look, you know, the, you know, Bennett and Taven are already Ring of Honor tag team champs. He says uh, Roderick Strong is going to go after the Intercontinental, excuse me, the International Champ. That was, that was truly a slip of the tongue. I wasn't trying to be cute here. I wasn't doing a bit. The International Championship, which is good. Uh, Orange Cassidy versus Roderick Strong. Hell yeah. Let's see. I'm up. Now I'm excited. Now I'm like, okay. And he says, uh, Wardlow uh, is going to go after the AW World Championship. And when Adam Cole is healed, Wardlow will do the right thing and forfeit the title and give it to him. And that was interesting, right? Because that was kind of the press, the precept with MJF. And Wardlow was sort of, he wasn't nodding, was sort of, and Probably, look, if Wardlow has any level of psychology in this entire thing, he just, if he just listened to what Adam Cole said, and I'm talking in kayfabe, of course, the guy has to go, what the fuck did I get myself into again? Why am I in this position again with these schmucks, right? Cole congratulates Adam uh, Samoa Joe and says it was pleasure biz doing business with him. So he's established that, even though Samoa Joe was not part of the crew, they did have an alliance. Uh, and um, and he says he hopes that by the time Wardlow is ready to challenge him, he hopes Samoa Joe is no longer the champion because it would suck to hurt a friend. There was a couple of, uh, yeah, you know, he just hurt his best friend. Um, then he talks about the change thing. Jay White comes, uh, pops in, gets on the mic, says, hey, it's my good friend Adam Cole, which, you know, Jay White has been calling him that ever since White started noodling around in AEW, right? Even back, you know, with the first Forbidden Door, said my good friend Adam Cole, so on and so forth. And he's like, hey, if you're such, you know, and but uh, Jay White feels betrayed. And if anything, this makes the most sense out of, out of it all because... Uh, because uh, Jay White is like, look, you're supposed to be my friend and you send your, you sick your goons on me. So he wants revenge. Uh, the guns come out to back him up. They fight, but they're overwhelmed. So the acclaimed come out. Billy Gunn is there as well. Um, the, uh, the heels take a powder. 
and uh, Bullet Club and Acclaim stand tall in the ring and Bullet Club hit the bricks as the crowd starts chanting for everyone to scissor. Good call, Jay. We don't want none of that. So, this is interesting. Look, um, um, this is this is this is interesting. Is this something that uh, is this something that Bullet Club is going to do? For um, is this something Bullet Club is uh, Bullet Club Gold is going to do here? Going to set themselves up to be uh, to be a first um, test for the uh, for the undisputed kingdom, as opposed to you know. Uh, anyone else and and look if they are the first test if they're going to have some matches well you know the bullet club gold is going to come out on the losing side of this again um i kind of want i kind of want more for jay white i'm not gonna lie i'm a patient man i mean jay white it's not as if jay white is completely mistreated he's one of the most protected guys in the company he's only been losing terribly big matches um, but you kind of hope for more. Look, let's see how this goes, but it kind of feels like they're setting up Bullet Club here to be a, a fall guy for the kingdom um, over the next few, which I'm not excited about. But then again, you had to, you had to do this, um, you had to address this as soon as possible. And the same with the acclaimed. Once the devil guys are revealed, um, Jay White was taken out, the acclaim were taken out, and commentary put this over enough. If they had just poo-pooed this away and forgotten about it, this wouldn't have made any more sense. At least this makes sense. Will probably lead us into something. But, you know, the the the, the kingdom are gonna do their thing here. But I guess I, my final thought is that, you know, Adam Cole it, it, as a heel is so much better. It, he's ridiculously better. His promos are are more natural. They flow more. They feel more real. He's more authentic. You know, for a guy who apparently is, you know, legitimately a nice guy and everyone gets along with, um, you know, his performances as a heel are always better. So even though I'm like, ah, the con yeah, I don't care about the content of this. Who gives a shit? This, it, he was very good. He was very, very good. We get a video package next um, around the uh, Eddie Kingston winning the Continental Classic. Then after that, Dan Garcia cuts a promo about his main event match a little later on against Swerve Strickland, which leads us to the first match of the night, AEW International title. Orange Cassidy successfully retains against Dante Martin. A fine little match they had here. Martin was doing some good psychology on Orange Cassidy, who did get flustered. During this match, got a little, got a little annoyed, right? Because as much as, because Dante Martin was doing his shtick, which Orange Cassidy did not do, right? He, he, he didn't do a lot of his typical shtick here. Uh, he didn't fall for it. He, in fact, responded with aggression. Uh, you know, he got, so, you know, we got the DDTs in by Orange Cassidy. Uh, at some point, he rolls away from Dante Martin who's climbing up on the top rope. So what does Martin do? Well, he 
walks a little bit across the top rope and then splashes all the way to the other side of the ring, which was pretty cool. Um, and uh, But it's an orange punch that uh, secures the win for Orange Cassidy. Good little match they had. After the match, Hook, Danhausen come to the ring for Orange and Darius Martin and Action Andretti come to check in on uh, Dante. And everyone is there. Orange Cassidy shakes Dante Martin's hand. And then private parties show up with their full entrance. With the 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 gate thing. What do you call that? The I don't remember what it's called. The rope. Someone will tell me. I don't know why I don't remember what it's called. The rope gimmick. That's not what it's called. I'm gonna call it the rope gimmick for the purposes of this recording right now. Um and uh, they're on the mic, reintroduce themselves, get a big reaction, lots of welcome back. They get in the ring and they said they're putting the entire tag team division on notice, including FTR, the Young Bucks, and even the Hardys, who uh, <coughs> um, Isaiah Cassidy had been uh, had been teaming with recently. So that made everyone go, oh. No mention of the current champions, despite the fact that they said, oh, we're coming after some tag team gold and we're putting the tag team on notice. And they mentioned a couple of tag teams except the current champs. Look, um, private party back, that's fine. Um, I'll be, it, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. You know, one of the original tag teams, tag team that, you know, eliminated the Young Bucks from the original tag team championship tournament, right? Clearly, they saw a lot of great things in them. And then at some point, things just didn't click. Stuff wasn't happening. I, I think they just had trouble translating to the bigger stage. And private parties sort of became a tertiary thought. Never came across as contenders. If they want to reinvigorate, reintroduce themselves, allow Mark Quinn returning from injury to shoot some new life into the, um, into the team and their potential, go right ahead. Let's see what happens. But they weren't exactly tearing the house down to begin with. And, uh, you know, it's not just a question of they weren't being pushed because they had been pushed. I think they fell short of expectations. Let's see what happens. Rene Paquette is backstage with Swerve Strickland. He's talking about how 2024 is going to be a year of championship gold for him. I, I'm, I'm down with that. I'm ready for that. And then we finally had the debut, the wrestling debut, the AEW debut, I should say, of Mariah May. She defeated Queen Aminata. Um, I'm going to tell you, she looked good. I've got, I don't have many notes that like, you know, we're not talking, you know, four star special here. It's a solid, good little match. You know, what did I, I, rated, I gave this a little, uh, the gentleman's three star rating. I thought this was a solid short match. Um, and you, I thought her, her, her being Mariah May, I thought her offense looked aggressive, uh, solid. You know, it, it looks good. She's crisp. She lands a great drop kick at some point, like her time in stardom clearly, um, brought that, uh, brought the best out of that aspect of her game. I thought she looked very good. There's, you know, no slouch here. 
We're yeah, we're not uh, we're not getting another uh, you know this is not another sky blue. <laughs> she uh, she she worked well, good outing as far as the debut goes. I mean it's 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 good, it's good, and Aminata had a great hope spot here too. They were trading chops on each other. It was worked very aggressively. I liked it. Fireman's carry slam by Mariah May gets the win. What does she call it? The May Day. I forgot to write the name down. I think that's what she calls it, right? So she gets the win. She's interviewed after, but she's interrupted by Diana Perazzo. Coming out to a solid reaction from her hometown Jersey crowd. Tells Mariah May to tell Tony Storm that she's coming for her because she is all elite. Diana Perazzo, part of the roster now. Mariah May says she's no, she's not the messenger and she can tell uh, Tony that herself, bitch, which prompts Deanna to attack her. Um, I uh, I am a big fan of Deanna Perazzo. I think she is a solid pro wrestler. She is a lovely human on top of that. Uh, and I'm a, I, I'm, a, I'm a tremendous fan of hers. It's a good career move for her. What else could she do in Impact? Like she's... In Impact, she's been up and down around the block so many times. TNA, I should say. No. But she served her time in Impact. Look. Uh, she's been up and down and all around that place, right? What else was there for her to do? Go back to WWE. I think this is ultimately a place where she can be more herself and continue, continue the persona that she's created for herself in Impact. And AEW will allow her to have the matches that will resonate with people and resonate with her much more than in the other place where they'd probably just slap her up together with, uh, you know, Chelsea Green or whatever. And then, you know, we all can see how that would go. Uh, I, but here's the thing. I think Deanna joining the women's division in AEW has, has risen the floor. I think... Now there is, I, I, and and I'm going to throw Mariah May in here. I think the floor has just gone up and I, we're going to get more and more impatient with other people on the roster who were surprisingly not on the show because it would appears that they were always on every show, but uh, on every AEW show. But uh, we're going to get a lot more impatient with people who are not progressing and who come across as slouches when you have people like this who are your entry level, who are going to be, and I don't mean this in a disparaging way, don't get me wrong, I know how maybe this is coming across, like I'm saying that they're beneath, that Deanna is beneath everyone, Mariah is beneath everyone, no, I think the the floor has been raised with the addition of Deanna Perazzo. I think, um, I think the entry level here for quality uh, quality uh, uh, wrestling from the women's division has just kicked it up a notch. I'm excited for this and I'm excited for Deanna. And I know Deanna's not everyone's cup of tea either. You know, I know she's, uh, you know, one of the things you'll hear is like, oh, well, if she's so great, where are all the five-star matches? Maybe this is the place. You know, if Tony Storm could unshake the gimmick for a little bit, you know, she could shake off the gimmick a little bit 
I'm sure they'd have a tremendous match together. You know, Jamie Hayter's going to come back at some point. She's the ace of the division. I, I only see this as a positive. And then there's the rumors that the other ladies on the way, you know the one I'm talking about. I see this as a positive. Now, are we going to... Here's the thing. In regards to the women's division in AEW. I don't harp on, on it every every week because it does get a little tedious. Because look, there, there's things at some point where I just I just have to stop talking about it every, every week. Because it, then you guys and gals and non-binary pals listen to it and go, oh, there goes old man Hayes again. You know, kind of like with the business aspect, you know, with the with the attendance with for AEW for a while. You know, it's like, well, I, the attendance is bad, but I'm not, you know, what am I going to do? I'm going to sit here and reiterate all my points again? But in regards to the AEW women's division, you know, I agree that it hasn't been, I was going to say stellar, hasn't even been great, especially recently. And there's no reason that this division should be underwhelming, not with the quality of talent that they have. The people that they are deciding to push makes for some questionable uh, uh, matches, which we saw at World's End, for instance. But there's no reason that this division should be, um, should be, should come across as being so much in the mud as it seems to be. Now, Tony Khan has talked, you know, he's talked about, you know, doing changes and a lot of talk about changes from him at the press conference. Adam Cole talking about new chapters, you know, people wanted to move on, we're moving on. Is, is 2024 the year that Tony Khan gets serious about his women's division? Because, look, as much as I just want to watch some great pro wrestling, I also believe in women's wrestling. I believe that it deserves a spot. And if you treat you as a promoter, if you treat it like uh, an afterthought, the audience is going to go along with that. That's just how you push people, right? That's just how things go. If you make people believe that something is important, if you make them believe that something is important, they're going to latch onto it, they're going to believe in it, and you're going to get people behind it. If you never push your women's division, if you never make it come across as something important or serious, what's the point? What are we doing? Yeah. That's it. By the way, I forgot to, uh, I realized that I skipped the uh, backstage interview that Renee Paquette had with Tony Storm, which where she prattles off some things. But the I think the 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 crucial part here was that um, the most important part here was that Tony Storm was saying that, you know, she doesn't watch pro wrestling, so she's, she's not going to watch Mariah May, her match. Uh, I forgot to mention that. Um, so that's, uh, so that's where we're at right now. Uh, after, oh, look, we got Christian Cage and the Patriarchy coming out. Top rated segment, I predict. <laughs> uh, they have, uh, Shayna Wayne, Mother Wayne. I think that's so funny. Mother Wayne, do the, uh, you're booing me, you would boo a mother. And I'm glad they didn't get, when she got the mic, look, when she did her promo a couple of weeks ago, was it last week, last Dynamite, or the week before, I said, you know, she has NXT cadence. I think she stinks. She, this was not a good promo. 
And when they handed her the mic again, I was like, oh, not again. But it was just to do the intro, to do the you would boo a mother, which I think is tremendous. I think it's, I, all of this stuff is so over the top and fantastic. You know, no, we're not booing you because you're a mother because, you know, because Christian Cage is a scumbag. That's the, that's the thing. Um, so, but, so, you know, she passes the mic over to Christian Cage really quickly. Uh, and he says that, uh, you know, he went to war to defend his title and there's some people he needs to thank. First, he's going to thank Mother Wayne, the matriarch for being so, um, selfless and understand whatever you know and you know secondly he has to thank his pride and joy his boy nick wayne gives him a big kiss on the head you know says that he put his body on the line during the match and he kisses his forehead i fucking love this so much you have no idea how great i think this is and last he'd like to thank the man that sealed the deal for the victory at world's end and he's standing right next to Killswitch and he's teasing that he's going to thank Killswitch. But of course, he does not thank Killswitch. He thanks himself, which generates huge Luchasaurus chants from the audience. Huge to the point that Christian Cage has to raise his tone on the microphone. He has to start talking louder than the audience because he doesn't want to address it. He wants to get his time in. But the audience is very, very loud in these Luchasaurus chants. Even a little later when they do a second series of Luchasaurus chants, he has to address them. He says, his name is Killswitch. He says Adam Cole, he, he's defeated Adam Cole for the final time. He's 2-0. So back of the line with you, Adam. Which is not true, of course. He's... Because Adam Cole did defeat uh, Adam Copeland. Did I say Adam Cole? Have I been saying Adam Cole? Adam Copeland. Uh, beat him at World's End. He so they're technically they're 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 two and one at this point. But Christian Cage is an asshole, right? So he's not gonna he's not gonna recognize he's not gonna recognize this shit. And uh, Adam Cole has to look in the mirror and realize what Christian Cage has been saying for years, that Christian Cage is superior to him, echoing a lot of wrestling fans. And um, he said that uh, Copeland brought the fight and he likes to think that both of them left a little bit of their souls in the ring, but one of them doesn't have a soul and that's why he's still TNT champion. God, Christian Cage just, he doesn't miss. He's tremendous. And he's going to remain champion until he hands it off to his boy, Nick Wayne, to carry on the family legacy. This is so good. It's so good. I, there has not been, I, there has not been an act in AW in 2023 that has been so consistent as Christian Cage's bit tremendous stuff from top to bottom i and he said it himself that adam cole adam copeland is going to have to look in the mirror and realize that christian cage has always been the superior which is what a lot of fans say which is something that i believe in as well i always thought christian cage was undervalued underappreciated and i'm glad that he's able to be to shine like this on on this stage after years of crafting and working this persona that he has 
absolutely remarkable stuff. And he, the way that everything is approached with this guy, he never runs out of fucking steam. Why? Because he's not overdoing it. He's not covering, he's not papering the show from top to bottom with skits and bits and nonsense. He's sticking to the basics, coming out, kill it, cutting kick-ass promos having a persona that is entirely believable because there's the other thing is that the talent is there too a, any other wrestler trying to do this would not be as successful i i am 99 guaranteed because maybe i'm just going to keep that one percent open just in case like some some magic would happen with someone that you wouldn't be expecting but i don't see this gimmick what he's doing right now at the level that he's doing it for so long i don't think it would have it would be as good with anyone else. Rene Paquette uh, is backstage with uh, Ruby Soho, Soraya, and Harley Cameron, who's, I look, I, I, Harley Cameron is really excited to be a part of the outcast and says she's gonna do, she'd do anything, like she means anything to do. All right, all right. <laughs> we're, get, we're getting into the horniness here, all right. I, again, let's just let's just see what happens. Look, I got, I got another. Harley Cameron has has is very close to having go home heat with me. Very very close because I thought she was horrendous in the QTV shit. I thought everyone was horrendous in the QTV shit. You know she's not special, but whatever it is, she's you know the last week with the knife. I'm like. She's this close. Then we had Kineske, excuse me, Kineske Takeshita defeating Darby Allen in the unquestionably the match of the night. What a what a riot this was! What a what, what rocking and rolling. I gave this four and a quarter stars in my little notebook gimmick here. Four. And a quarter stars. And this was Kineske Takeshita's first match since singles match since June 2023. Give us what we want, Tony. This when you were had when you before you signed the guy, you had him on every fucking week doing sicko matches, throwing caution to the wind, having us popping out of our chairs even though he was losing. Then what, we, what did we tell? What were we saying back then? He's got to start winning some matches. Then he gets signed, and he doesn't wrestle singles matches anymore. The short look—he's—he's he's in a good stable. He's in a—you know—he's a, a, in a good spot. Match of the night. And this is what people want out of Takeshita: strong, impressive, innovative offense, wild offense. Things that you're like, this guy's impossible. Everything that makes Kanosuke Takeshita good, we saw in this match. He can go even above and beyond this because we've seen better out of him. But this is his base level. And this is something that, that we're excited about. And Darby, Darby's the guy, perfect guy to put in this match to get him over on that level as well. Rolling German suplexes on the ramp, on the ramp was just tremendous. I'm like, what the fuck are we doing? Darby Allen does a dive, and he eats a flying knee as a counter. Great stuff. 
Takesha does a belly-to-back pile driver in the ring, and Darby Allen does a top rope flipping stunner. And he gets Kaneske Takeshita to knock his knee on the top of the railing and uh, on the floor. And Takeshita tumbles over it in a great bump, a fantastic spot. It was great stuff. Coffin drop to the floor by Darby. Takeshita does those flipping Germans in the ring, just like tossing Darby all over the fucking place. Super avalanche German suplex. Darby does the thing where then he, he asks for more even though he knows he's done. So Takeshita obliges, knee strike, he gets the win. I'm a simple man. Just, just give, me, give me guys beating the shit out of each other in, in, in wild ways like this. This Takeshita's offense is so good. It's crisp. It's believable. It's hard-hitting. It's fast. It's impactful. Darby was perfect in this spot here. I loved this match. I thought it was great. Renee Paquette interviews the Don Callis family backstage after this match. And they challenge Sting and Darby. In uh, Daly's place next week. Then we have a number one contenders match for the AEW Continental Crown. It's a four-way. Trent Beretta defeats Brian Cage, Brian Keith, and El Gio del Vikingo to become the number one contender. Eddie is on commentary for this one. Like, this is one of these four-ways where it's like it's it's one-on-one guys all throughout. And I'm like, well, so what's the point? What are we doing? It doesn't matter. Like, the fact that it was a four-way didn't change a goddamn thing. I was like, it was just one-on-one the entire way. Cycling in and out of guys. Felt very tropey. I wasn't that much into it. Fine little match. I mean, it was all right. Everyone got their stuff in. But look, Brian Cage, this is the tale of the Bryans here. Brian Cage, tremendous as usual. You know, I've I've been a I've been very high on Brian Cage recently. Brian Keith, he's starting to get his signature offense over with the AEW crowd. I wonder why that is. I wonder why they they flew him in to Newark. Is it Newark? We're, 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 yeah, we were in Newark, right? I wonder why they flew him into Newark. Did probably starting to hear that he's uh, turning down some dates. Starting to hear that he's telling promoters that, uh, starting to hear that promoters, uh, are, uh, are, 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 that he's telling promoters he can't, uh, he can't do the J-O-B anymore. If it, as Homer Simpson once told us, if it looks like a signing and it tastes like a signing, brother, it's probably a signing. Danhausen hops into this match because he's affiliated with Trent to curse uh, Brian King. Orihara moonsault by Vikingo. But uh, it's a scrunchie by Trent that gets the win. Look, Vikingo really quickly. Very tepid stuff. I don't know. Look. Has the has the sheen of Vikingo sort of worn off or... Is he just unable to do all the stuff that he could that he that he can anymore, or does he save it for other matches? When the thing here is that I think Vikingo's at a spot where he needs to try other things. 
And I think he needs to evolve his style into a wrestling style and not just be a high spot guy because when he's not doing the high spots, you're like, okay, well, it's Vikingo, right? It's great. But what else, you know, it's nice to see him, but he's not blowing my mind here. There's that dichotomy, I think, that's being, that that's appearing when it comes when it, when, when it comes to, to, to Vikingo that, I, it, I mean, and it's on him to fix it, right? And it's not up to us, but it's on him to, 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 to realign and get shit done so that his, his, his style can incorporate, can go further than just doing mind-boggling feats of athleticism. I'm not saying that he shouldn't do them anymore, but he maybe has to fill out between. I think he has to become a more rounded pro wrestler. He's still young, he, you know. I'm not saying he's done or washed or anything, but you can feel it here. It's like, I mean, he does that, you know, that uh, that 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 twisting Rana thing, right? Which is absolutely phenomenal. But it's Vikingo. You're sort of expecting wild shit because that's what you that's what he's taught you to expect from him, if that makes sense. And Trent here gets the win, so he's going to be the first challenger for Eddie Kingston. Uh, I think this is a this is a good first uh, first opponent, someone that Eddie can can beat, because I don't think anyone expects Trent to do it. Someone Eddie can beat. Quick little match in and out. We can move on to a bigger challenge. I think this is a good first challenge. Matt Menard, Daddy Magic, is backstage with Renee Paquette. She's about to interview him, but just before she starts, Adam Page arrives at the building. He's got his he's got his bag. He's arriving like 20 minutes before the end of the show. I think you missed show call, Adam. And and he just uh, overtakes the interview and he's mad and he's pissed off. And he's like, look, he's here to beat someone's ass after uh, Samoa Joe had uh, goons put him through a windshield. Some real glass. I was kind of disappointed he didn't say real glass. That would have been really fucking funny. He doesn't care who it is. Uh, mm, put one and one together. This is the last segment before the main event where Swerve Strickland is involved. And yeah, the main event, yeah, Swerve Strickland defeated Daniel Garcia. Another good little match. I thought this was well worked, well put together, good effort. You even have Nana and uh, Daniel Garcia have a dance-off on the floor. They even do the uh, Hulk Hogan, uh, Dwayne Johnson, WrestleMania thing where they look off, you know, as if it's, uh, you know, the mega powers of dance. So they do that, but, uh, you know, a little bit of nonsense, but it doesn't distract from the match. The match is actually pretty good. I, I enjoyed it. I thought this was a nice, solid match. I gave it uh, 3.5. Daniel Garcia tries to do the jag- the dragon t- tamer on uh, on commentary, and he doesn't quite have his footing. They, they, you know, Swerve is, isn't well positioned. They fall off. They tumble off. I kind of liked it. I liked it, you know. And sure, it's, you know, it's a mishap, a botch, whatever you want to call it. But I liked it because it made sense. Because don't, why would you do a dragon tamer on the table? Like, it's a very ill-advised thing to do. Why would you do that? Because there's not enough room. Because you, you're not going to get a submission win because you're on the floor. You know, it's like, it, why, why are you doing this in the first place, Dan? So, bit him in the ass. And it kind of goes with his story that, you know, he's in a a bit of a, um, he's in a, a, in a bit of an identity crisis right now between his, sports entertainment persona and being a pro wrestler. So it makes sense that uh, 
that he'd uh, that he'd try this out, you know, and that it fails. So you know, it all sort of ties in. I liked it; didn't bother me. Superplex by Garcia follows, followed by a suplex by Swerve Strickland, I should say, who tries to put Daniel Garcia away with the sidekick and the stomp. It doesn't work, but it's the JML driver that does the trick. Swerve Strickland wins. I know, and, and, and I think there's a lot of people who reacted very negatively to the fact that this match was booked. And I'm like, no, book book more matches with guys who who who, who you feel can't take a loss. I'm I'm okay with this, you know. Fight Strickland is on the ascent; he can't take a loss. Daniel Garcia, you know, you you feel like he needs the wins here, but they're telling the story that he's lost right now, and he's he doesn't quite have his footing. He's in an identity crisis. He's lost his his group of sports entertainers. He's you know he's a he's tried to make peace with the fact that he's not a pro wrestler and now this is coming back to haunt him so who i mean garcia taking the l here works and this was when we were like okay let's go like strong ballsy booking i'm okay with this with two guys who can benefit from a win but one of them has to lose and and look we didn't 50 50 it we didn't sugarcoat it it wasn't like um you know Three levels of interference and a ref bump. No, Garcia lost clean as a whistle. I'm okay with this. And it works for Garcia's story. You know, Matt Menard comes in after because Swerve wants to shake his hand. Garcia's hand and then Nana and Lowe blows him. Uh, Garcia. And then Matt Menard comes in for the save and he gets beaten down for his issues. And then Hangman Adam Page comes out. And... Uh, he stares down Strickland and Strickland, you know, he looks a little worried, then starts to smile, but Paige just starts beating his ass. Big pull-apart brawl. I am okay with revisiting this. We're going to go for a third match. Most likely, right? Something's going to happen here. I'm okay with revisiting this. I think Paige, if they do lead to a match, I think this means Paige has to get a win. And this is where you start to have to where you have to start being careful with Strickland, right? Because if Strickland, if Strickland, I, I'm okay with revisiting the match, but I don't know if I would have done this just yet. Because if you're if you're going to, because Strickland couldn't get the job done in the Continental Classic, and yes, he's beaten Adam Page twice, right? Can Page really lose a third time? Probably not. You probably want a guy that is, I think, perceived by many to be the ace of the company. Despite the fact, anyway, but at least I'm talking perception as as to whether he is or not. We could have that discussion, but um, I think you know if if we're doing another match, I think Paige has to get a win here. If Strickland loses again, then I think the luster starts to fall off a little bit because then it's like, well, sure he had some good matches, but now he's is he on the downfall? Is he is he slipping? Sure, he got the big win at the pay per view. He got another win against Garcia here, but Page is a guy, Swerve is a guy. Again, I'm all for ballsy booking. If look, if Strickland wins again, there's no stopping this man in 2024. It becomes it you punctuate uh Swerve Strickland being a world champion this year, right? If he beats Adam Page 
a third time. And, and, and he's three for zero against Paige. And I'm not saying that I'm not saying that Swerve losing to Strickland is going to be the death knell. What I'm going to say is that I think the veneer is going to start to crack. I don't think it's going to be as compelling. I don't know if I would have revisited this so soon. I think I would have give given um Strickland a, a, a big time promo. And maybe this is just a an aside to something. I look, let's let's see how things turn out. But I can't say I'm disappointed in this. I love Adam Page. I love I love Strickland. I love their matches. There's a lot of there's a lot of positives to come out of here. A lot of positive. No sign of Chris Jericho on this show. By name, presence, nothing. When's the that doesn't happen very often. At the very least, I think it was a smart idea to let, uh, uh, just to let the heat die down a little bit. Just saying. But on that note, we're going to wrap up this, this review of a good little dynamite. It was a great no, but I enjoyed myself. It was a good post pay-per-view uh, show where a lot of big things happened on the pay-per-view. Good little matches. One legitimately great one. I enjoyed myself. The greatest of all time? No. It was good. Good little episode of Dynamite. And I hope you enjoyed this good little episode of the Mr. Warren Hayes Show AEW Dynamite Review. One more uh, plea for a like or a subscribe or a five-star review or a five-star rating. I will be back on Sunday, nonetheless, for the Collision Review. I will be back doing that. Um, and on Tuesday for the Mr. Warren Hayes Show proper. Uh, but in the meantime, look, I hope you all have a great rest of your week and a great weekend. And I will see you next time.